Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. All right, we're back and we're going right to the phones. And joining us from Tightline Outdoors, because Nate is buried deep in the woods somewhere, unfortunately he'll probably find his way out, is Will Dykstra. Good morning, Will. Morning, Terry. How's it going? You know, it's good. And it's, for some reason, I love Nate to death, and he's a tremendous contributor to this show. But he's so easy to take shots at. <laughs> he is. He is. He, uh, you know, he kind of opens, opens himself up for that. But, uh, hey, he, he takes it well. No, so. he does. And he's you know, your whole organization has been such a big part of the show for so long. And I see in my notes you want to talk both open water and getting ready for ice. And, boy, it's going to be a toss-up, which one you want to do here pretty quick. So, Bring us up to speed. Uh, first, I want to ask you, I know you've probably got some set things, but I don't know which ones you want to go talk about, but is there much left in the mountains, or is boating almost over? You know, so most of the mountain lakes uh, shut down uh, on October 31st, or that's the last day they're open. So most of them, as far as uh, a launchable boat, most of those lakes you can't get into now. Now, some of them uh, have... The uh, have inspection stations or have ramps without inspection stations that you know basically it's it's kind of an on your honor type of thing. And some of those they kind of leave that up to it seems like they leave it up to the tech that's in charge of uh, typically it's a state wildlife area. So you know when they feel like the conditions aren't aren't good, they're going to go ahead and shut those down. I'd say most of them are uh, are are shut down as we speak or getting ready to shut down. And especially you know I I was in the high country yesterday helping a buddy out with a deer hunt and. I drove by a lot of ice yesterday. I mean, granted, a lot of it was our uh, were, were smaller beaver ponds and stuff like that. But typically, when you start seeing ice on those, it, it's just around the corner. Well, I think you're absolutely right. By the way, for people, I believe Granby is going to stay open at least till December 1st or something like that. So that's that's one because right. it takes a while to freeze. But for the most part, I think you're right. And the high country, you know, the nights we've been having, it might not be that long for the small lakes down here in lower elevation, but certainly in the high country, I think we might be days, if not a week or two away from uh, fishable ice. Absolutely. In fact, I know of a handful of people, of course, that are exercising a ton of caution while doing this, but have hiked into some of those higher mountain, you know, kind of alpine lakes because uh, they just can't get enough ice fishing. So they, uh, you know, I know guys that have already been up catching brookies and, and cutthroats through the ice in a handful of these places. So there's definitely already those early ice opportunities. Again, if you're going to do that, you got to really make sure you, you know your conditions well and, uh, you know, just exercise a ton of caution because typically a lot of those places are pretty remote. And if you can get, you can get into a pretty hairy situation if you're not careful. Yeah. In fact, I think I'm going to post on my Facebook page, uh, Terry Wicks from Outdoors, a bunch of uh, ice tips, you know, things to do, how to, uh, how to uh, getting in trouble. That can happen, but we know, we say there's no such thing as safe ice, but ice fishing is very safe if you use common sense. And, and Absolutely, there's no question. And that's what it comes down to. But we'll get back to the ice in a minute. What about open water? You know, there's still a lot of boat fishing going on right here in the Front Range. There's, there's a ton of boat fishing happening on the Front Range right now. It, you know, for those of you that love catching really big fish, especially when you're talking about big walleyes, this is one of my favorite times of year to do this. And it's, you know, these fish are starting to, to pack on the pounds uh, for the winter. And... 
they're starting to feed heavily, and it's a, it can be a really fun way to catch fish. In fact, this time of year, you, you could I could argue that you probably can catch fish more ways this time of year than you can just about any other time of year. And the cool part about it is your quality of fish tends to be a little bit better. So, you know, on the front range, we're talking, you know, Chatfield, Cherry Creek, um, Boyd Lake up north, excuse me, and uh, and Pueblo Reservoir, even uh, down south, has been fishing really well, and this is a great time of year to catch these fish. Now, so my personal, no, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Keep going. But I was just going to say, my you know, my personal favorite way to catch these fish is I love throwing a jerk bait in low light conditions as we get close to the evening, and again, that's a great way to catch big fish. However... And, Terry, I know you love this style of fishing probably as much as anything is, you know, it's the spooning or, or blade bait chicken wrap season right now, and you can catch some really big fish doing that. And numbers and a variety of species, because when those bait fish are gathered up and you can locate them, I mean, you can spend a lot of time jerking those baits and wear your arm out, but if you do it right, uh, you can have just, I've had catches down at Pueblo where we had walleye, wiper, crappie, smallmouth bass, and catfish all in the same spot. Yeah, it, it, you're exactly right. And the, and the the common denominator there, you said, is the food and the fact that these fish are, you know, are feeding on the shad, feeding on on, on bait fish that are piling up, especially on the edges of uh, of structure. And it is an awesome time of year to catch not only lots of fish, big fish, and even like you said, a lot of multi species. I mean, if they're not a necessarily a fish you want to to target or you're going to target, but you you can catch some really big carp this time of year on conventional tackle, which is a lot of fun, too. You know, and you mentioned some of the different lures or presentations. If you went back 20-some years, over 20 years ago, I think, I wrote some articles for In Fishermen. In fact, they were in their critical concept books on walleyes. I wrote the chapters on jigging spoons for those books, and the jigging spoon was the mainstay. The blade bait had come and gone and come and gone and kind of dropped out of popularity. When the early... Uh, 2000s, the blade bait made a big resurgence and really caught on and it stayed caught on. But a lot of pros around the country were using a presentation with the jigging wrap that everybody thought was an ice fishing lure to win tournaments. And all of a sudden the word started getting out. This goes back probably a decade. And I would say the last decade, that jigging wrap bite, at the same time you see the spoon or blade bait bite, has been just taken off. Oh, it has. And the reason it's so effective, you know, a lot you said it, that lure was originally designed as kind of an ice fishing lure. And the reason for that is it keeps you in the strike zone. It's efficient on getting down to the bottom because a lot of times when you're ice fishing, you're targeting that you know bottom two or three feet of the water column, and that's something that that you don't achieve necessarily with a with a jig and a plastic or something you don't achieve with a, a swim bait on a jig head. You know, per se, is you're not necessarily staying right in that reaction strike zone for nearly as long, and, and you're incurring a reaction strike with those baits that is second to nine. I mean, you're hopping it off the bottom, and literally less than half a second later, you're to, it's back on the bottom. And that is, that's a big reason that lure is so effective. But I'll be, I'll be honest with you, know, the biggest walleye that I think we, as tight line as a group, has caught was caught on a jigging rack. And it's the biggest walleye that I've ever uh, personally caught myself. And this is a great time of year to do it. I mean, these are small baits. You know, you're talking an inch and a half to the biggest ones are going to be right around two and a half, three inches. But the key is working that bait fat, like kind of erratic, but keeping it in one spot for the most part. You know, you hit on something, you said reaction bite, because everybody thinks as this water gets cold, 
you need to lay live bait right up there and let them look it over. And maybe when we get into some parts of the ice fishing season, that'll be true. But what happens right now, there's so much bait gathered in one spot that putting live bait out there, it's very difficult to separate yourself from that or be, you know, distinguish yourself. And the fish aren't really in a feeding. They're just in a, in a, they're in a feeding, but it's almost a frenzy and it's reactionary where the spoon, the blade bait and the jigging wrap are giving you a chance. If you're, you're moving it fast, you're giving an erratic movement right in front of them and they're instinctively hitting it. You're not necessarily duplicating exactly just close enough where they see an easy meal and they just can't help themselves. And that's why it's so effective now. It is. It absolutely is. And for those those of us that love fishing big lake trout, you know, out of the boat, where basically it's very visual when you're talking about using your, your electronics for that, that's something else that you can do with these jigging wraps, even more so than a blade and even more so than a spoon, is, is we, cut, we call it sharpshooting or sniper or sniping for walleyes, where you're basically driving around and you're marking a fish and you're actually targeting that specific fish. And a lot of times that's the best way to catch these big fish as well. No, oh, you're absolutely right. Before we move on to talk maybe a little bit more getting ready for ice fishing, and I know you guys have got some stuff coming up, What what's the status of the boat ramps up and down the front range? Now, I know Pueblo will stay open all year as long as they don't free. They, they may close a day or two if they get ice at the ramp, but other than that, they tend not to close all winter. What about some of the other lakes? You know, for the most part, the rule of thumb that, that we've been getting from Parks and Wildlife is, is most of these boat ramps are going to be open. Uh, up until December 1st, and that's barring any extreme conditions. You know, if, if we get a really nasty cold snap and we start getting some ice on the lakes, you know, typically the rule of thumb with most of these front-range boat ramps is going to be December 1st is is, is going to be the closing date for them or, um, you know, first ice. So, you know, just pay attention to your conditions. And what I do this time of year, you know, even though I, I like to say I'm in the loop with most everybody, is that typically before I'm going to go check something out? If I'm not close by, I'm going to give them a call before I before I hook the boat up and, and drag the boat down the lake just to make sure that there's no conditions. You know, Chatfield we have um, the south boat ramp is now closed um, due to construction, so the north boat ramp is still open, and the I believe just the east ramp at Cherry Creek is the one that's open now as well. Yeah, and you know another great thing about this time of the year is even on some of these popular metro lakes. You can have a lake almost to yourself with some of the best fishing of the year. You, you can. It, it's funny. I was actually out with one of our other uh, sightline guys, Devin Menino, the other day at Cherry Creek, and the only other boat that was out on the lake was a guy barefoot skiing, and uh, which you wouldn't expect this time of year. But again, you know, like you said, we basically had Cherry Creek Reservoir all to ourselves. And again, all to yourself when you have some of the best fishing this time of year, you can't beat that. Oh, it's just incredible. I was hoping to get my boat out one more time, but I have to make a trip to Hawaii and to Georgia. So I don't know. I might not. Yeah, it's that just, sounds rough. Well, that you know, I, I got to do what I got to do. I, I, you know, so. you know well as well as anybody that I don't do this for personal gratification. No, I do no, this. I, I do this for the listener so I can report back. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Hey, now, um, hey, let's you know. talk a little bit about getting ready for ice fishing. We still got a couple minutes here. Um, I know, looking at the weather forecast, you know, we're going to get some cold weather. We're going to get some warm days down here. But even when you get 45, 50 down here on the front range, the daylight hours are short. The apex, the angle of the sun is very low. You don't get a lot of solar heating of the water, and the nights are cool. But up in the... 
you know, even the mid-range areas or some of the areas like red feathers, uh, I think will probably freeze very quickly. Lake John, what about some of the areas you look at as we, if this weather continues, where do you see some of the early ice that people can really go take advantage? You know, I, I'd say, you know, for some of those mid-range areas, and I consider Terry all as one of those areas, even Antero, um, you know, it's one of those areas that could potentially have ice uh, sooner than the other, sooner than many other bodies of water, strictly because of the overnight temperatures that you get. And as long as we don't get really, really heavy winds that happen a lot up there in South Park, you know, I'd see, I'd say Antero's, it, you know, just a few weeks around the corner from having first ice. Um, but I'd definitely say Antero, or uh, I'm sorry, Terriol. It typically Terriol freezes before any of these lakes. And, and a lot of those other ponds around, um, you know, that are public around those areas are going to be great opportunities. Like you said, in that mid-range area, before you actually get up into that super high country, you know, Red Feather Lakes, like you said, I know Parvin, um, Parvin Lake up in that area is probably going to be uh, within the next 10 days to 14 days, you're going to start seeing ice up there. And Terry, Terry basically what I want to talk about, about today was prepping for ice. And it was, I wouldn't even say it's prepping for ice. Season. I just say, you know, we hate hearing horror stories about ice conditions. And like we kind of talked about earlier, you know, the, the only unsafe ice is the ice that you go on that you know is unsafe. But the reality is, is you want to make sure that you're doing all you can at being prepared for these early ice conditions. So making sure that you have a spot bar, making sure that you have a, a safety line is really important, but also making sure you're not doing this on your own. Because I'd say most of the people that, that run into some issues with early ice and, and not being safe is the fact that they're kind of going on their own. No, you're absolutely right because you know most times people float back up in the hole, especially with a lot of the new suits we have nowadays. And the fact is, they can't get out. If you, know, you need ice picks, and even if you do get out, hypothermia sets in so quickly you can't even get back to shore. And that's when it happens. Usually, it's not drowning; it's something like that. And if you got somebody with you, can throw you a line that can be avoided. And throw you a line and get you the truck, get you warmed up, get all the get all the wet clothes off, and, and you know and just make sure you're exercising all the all the precautionary stuff so you don't put yourself in that situation is really what you want more than anything. And that spud, but, uh, that spud bar but, thing, I want to hit on that again. A lot of times early ice, I don't even take an auger. I take my spud bar to check the ice, and I use that to chisel a hole because I'm talking maybe three, four inches of ice. Exactly. You know, the reason a spud bar is safe is for a couple of reasons, but but the biggest thing is, is what we do is we typically will walk along, and we do this a lot on our ocean guide trips, especially early ice. We typically do it all year if we're in a situation where we think, you know, we've got to make sure we're, we're really checking the ice conditions here. And basically my rule of thumb is if you can basically uh, throw that spud bar, you know, just the weight of the spud bar and a little bit of force, and it takes less than, than uh, three or four times to get through that, you really got to be careful. But you're right. Having a spud bar, it's not just a safety tool. It's a great way to to uh, reduce the amount of stuff you need to bring out because typically um, you can just chisel, chisel your way uh, through the ice to fish as well. Now, we're out of time. We're overtime, Will. Do you have some events real quick you want us to start watching for? You know what? So we are excited about our 2019 uh, Ice Eviction Tournament Series schedule. We're going to be at Boyd Lake, uh, Grand Lake, and, and then we're going to be traveling to Utah again this year at, at Jordan L Reservoir. We're so excited to be um, doing this again again this is one of the most fun ice fishing events that you'll ever be a part of it's a great event for your family to go to uh tons of prizes and giveaways uh not to mention the fact that we do tons of door prizes as well so um check out our facebook page uh tight Line outdoors 
as well as our website, and uh, that's where you can purchase your tickets as well. All right. Thank you, my friend. A lot of great information. I think there's a lot of pent-up demand to get on the ice, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Will. You bet, Terry. We'll see you. Will Dykstra from Tightline Outdoors. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Joining us now, uh, we're going to continue to talk some fishing, and I think eventually he's going to give us some uh, hunting updates, too, is Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. Well, you know, it's beautiful right now. Probably not the best day to be hunting geese, which we'll talk about later, or ducks. If you, I, can't, I don't remember what the season dates. We might be in the split, but... Uh, tomorrow's supposed to be better, but right now it'd be a great day to be on the water. So what do we find you doing today? You know, today, actually, I am doing some prep work for upcoming duck hunting stuff. And if I can get all that done and, uh, and ready, I'm going to go hit the water this afternoon. Well, I tell you what, we were just talking to uh, Will from Tightline about some of the lakes down here a little bit. And he says the, the jigging bite, you know, the jigging spoon, blade bait, uh, jigging wrap type bite is just on fire on like Cherry Creek and Chatfield and Pueblo. I would assume up north and some of the lakes you fish, it's exactly the same way. Yeah, it is. The The deep water bite is starting to kick in on lakes like Boyd and Horsetooth. Both of those still have open boat ramps for, you know, another, through about the end of the month. You need to check the hours for inspections. That is kind of changing up as we're as we go through the month, but the deep water bites fantastic in this year. Um, unlike some of the past years, particularly Boyd, a lot of the fish are starting to move shallow. And so that uh, dirt bait bite that I know Will was talking about or snap jigging, either jigs and plastics or hair jigs is producing some really good fish and not just walleyes. Uh, there's bass up there being caught. And some panfish as well. You know, also another fish, the front lakes that gets front range lakes that gets overlooked right now is we're going to have a lot of large active rainbow trout on these lakes because the water is cool. These fish are going to come back to the shallows also because of the cooler water. There's going to be more bug life, some minnow life up there, and they're going to be accessible both from a boat and shore. And not only, and also the. Uh, Parks and Wildlife heavily stocks a lot of bodies of water with trout going into the fall, both because they easily sustain it because of temperatures and for ice fishing and then for a good jump in the spring. So you've got a heavily stocked bodies of water with a lot of big holdover fish, too. Yeah, there are. There are some really nice-sized trout. Uh, you know, horse tooth has a few of those remaining trout that they put in from the fires in Fort Collins, well, what was that, eight, ten years ago when they basically took everything out of the hatchery and put it in horse tooth because they were afraid they were going to lose it. And there is a lot of, um, you know, upper 20 to 30 inch fish in there. Not quite as many as before, but it's, those are some of the biggest trout anyone's going to catch in their lifetime or most people will catch. And then Boyd is known for a lot of those 20 inch holdovers. It's got the depth to hold those fish during the summer and they start getting really active. Now I would recommend people looking particularly on some of the eastern plains lakes that have a real muddy uh, shoreline, try to find those rocks or uh, a more sandy area. They're going to warm up just a little bit more on the sunny days. You're going to get a little bit more of the invertebrate, the bug life, which is going to attract the bait in there and then bring those larger predators like the trout and the walleye and the bass and um, 
using something that's that's moving horizontal, whether it's a jerk bait or uh, a swim bait, anything like that is going to give a presentation that could catch, you know, possibly your biggest fish of the year. Oh, you're very, very, and there's, and you're all alone. By the way, we're going to talk waterfall in another segment coming up here. What a great time of the year to do a cast and blast too. You know, do a morning of waterfall and an afternoon of fishing after it warms up. Just a tremendous time. But you're right. You know, then the other great thing about this time of the year for the open water fishing, a lot of guys are out hunting. They put their fishing rods away. A lot of kids are back in school. Nobody's traveling. They're not getting out. People have gone, moved on to other activities. Uh, you can virtually have a lake almost to yourself with some of the best fishing of the year. Oh, you can. I was out on Boyd uh, Tuesday from, well, we were out from 11 till 4.30. You know, it's it's practically dark at 5 right now. And I think there was a total of three other boats on the lake, and they were all fishing. Yeah. it's That's, it's a... that's phenomenal. Well, it feels like we're back up in Minnesota, Terry. Yeah, it really does. You get that. And the other thing, too, this time of the year, you mentioned being out at 11, really can be banker's hours fishing, can't it? It can. Um, it seems like that spooning bite right now, uh, early in the morning, a lot of those fish are not on that deep structure. And as the day progresses, you're able to find them out there and catch more fish on whether it's a spoon or a jig and wrap or a, a blade bait or a rip and wrap, those reaction style deep baits. The key is um, usually if I'm going out midday, the first thing I do is go look at that deep structure. You can find fish if you're out in a boat with your electronics real easy. And if they're there, fish them. If they aren't, go up to the shallows. And for those shore anglers, you know, that, that water's warming up more in the afternoon. There's a little more activity. Um, so that provides a better opportunity in the afternoon. And one thing I will say on these clear, sunny days, you can really identify panfish opportunities. Those panfish will start getting active up near the surface and you'll be able to see the little rises. They, they're not quite as aggressive as trout, but they really give away their location, um, by rising to some of the bugs that are coming towards the surface. And when you find those locations, you're going to have an opportunity to catch big fish good numbers and like you talk about it's a great way to indicate where those fish are going to be for the upcoming ice season that you know the way it's looking in the mountains it may only be a couple weeks away or less it might be a week away what um we're going to talk about that in a minute here real quick when you see those panfish kind of bubbling the surface like that what's one of your favorite presentations you know this time of year the fish aren't quite as active so I'm going to usually use a float of some type, usually a pencil float, whether it's a fixed one or a slip float. And then I'm going to get out my ice fishing stuff and go with some really light jigs, 132nd, um, 116th being the biggest. But I, I want a small jig that's going to fall slow. And then like you were talking with uh, Dave Gents, I'm using plastics, whether it's a, a gulp minnow, um, one of the clam, you know, the Mackie plastic, something like that that you would use for ice fishing is what I'm usually going with. If you're going for the crappies, you can go with live minnows. You know, we'll find a spot with the, the fathead minnows. That's another good option to catch some of those panfish this time of year. Now, real quick, I want to take about two minutes to see, see what you're hearing about any ice conditions. And then we're going to take a break and come back and talk waterfall. Have you heard of any lakes where people have been out or they're getting close? I've heard some lakes are getting close. Some of the stuff, you know, west of Fort Collins 
is starting to get that quarter inch to a half inch of fully capped um, ice, which is key, particularly in that area that gets a lot of wind. Because once you cap it over, you know, it it's able to keep adding ice and the wind won't rip it off. Um, I did see a picture, you know, Lake John has a little bit of skim ice starting up there. So those red feather lakes, the the North Michigan, those lakes usually freeze early, but I'm still going to tell people I would hold off at least 10 days, two weeks before you go up there unless you hear a report from someone because that, that early ice, even though it can be really strong, if you aren't familiar with um, how to read ice, it can be dangerous, you know, going out where maybe the lake only froze halfway one day and then the other half froze two days later. And you can have a transition from a safe, you know, three to four inches of ice to two inches really quick. So, you know, make sure you have the safety gear and, um, you know, uh, take it easy. But I would say within two weeks, you've got that going on. And if you really have the ice fishing excitement going on, um, Shields has a big ice event coming up December 1st. They're, they're big ice fish here locally, and there's going to be speakers and sales and a bunch of uh, promotions going on. So I think that would be a great thing for people who uh, who want to get more information on ice fishing to attend. I think that's December 1st, and I believe you and Bernie Keefe are among those speakers. Yes, we are. It's uh, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Bernie will kick off. He, he's going to open the event and close it. And then uh, in between, it's myself, uh, Dan Shannon, and Barry Cundiff, and we're going to talk about lake trout's going to be talked about, early ice, walleye, and panfish. So we're kind of covering the whole gamut of ice fishing stuff. And the people, I know there's some uh, ice team members going to be there as well. So people are going to be around helping answer questions. If you're new to the sport or maybe you've always fished, uh, you you came from the Midwest and you fish panfish and you want to learn about trout fishing. Or you've always trout fished and you want to learn about some of these closer warm water species. It's going to be a great opportunity to get a lot of information. All right. We're over time. we got to take a break. When we come back, I want to change things up and get some input on what's going on in the waterfall situation because I know you've been watching it closely. All right. Sounds good. All right. We're We'll put Brad on hold. We're going to take a quick time out, and we'll be back with more outdoors on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right back to the phones, and we've been talking to Brad Peterson from Brad Peterson Outdoors. And, Brad, we talked some fishing, but I want to switch things up. This time of the year tends to be one of the toughest for outdoorsmen in Colorado. We've got big game hunting. We've got upland game that looks like it's going to be an incredible upland game season. We've got open water fishing. We're days away from being on the ice, choosing what to do, and then you throw in waterfall. And we have one of the best waterfall hunting states in in North America here. It's tough to choose, but I know you're really into the waterfall, so kind of bring people up to speed. Where are we with the seasons and what's going on? Yeah, Terry, it's it's one of those good, bad things. You know, having all the opportunities to do such a variety of things is fantastic this time of year, but making that choice can be tough for a lot of guys. Um, for me, I, I'm usually either out fishing or waterfowl hunting, um, and what's happening right now with the waterfowl season is this last week, up north had a bunch of cold fronts come through, and Montana and the Dakotas and Canada froze up. And the migration, really, we got our first big push of Canada geese that have come in. 
And for the the goose hunters, if you're east of Highway 85 on the uh, the Front Range area or, or northeast part of the state, season open lasts on uh, November 5th. So they're actually able to get out there goose hunting. Now, if you're west of 85 along what they call the North Front Range area, that season opens up November 17th. So these fish, or these fish, the geese have gotten down here. They're kind of getting accustomed to where they're roosting, but they are flying all over the place. So the opening for the November 17th hunters, this is going to be one of the best ones we've seen in probably five or six years. Just the sheer number of birds that are around here is absolutely outstanding. And I would expect more birds to get pushed in with this front that they're talking about beginning of this week. And duck season we're in the beginning of our, our first split there, and duck season is going to run through November 26th. And, and like the geese, we may have lost a few of our early gadwall widgeon birds. Uh, the early migraine birds may have left, but we had a really good push of mallards. I was out with a, a buddy yesterday, and we were able to get a limit of mallards in in the morning, um, you know, out of there by 830. So the the hunting is going to be really good. I'd move away from your shallow ponds. They're starting to freeze and look at going to the big water or the rivers. And you're going to have some fantastic waterfall hunting. Well, and a lot of this waterfall hunting is, is you know, some of it's first come, first serve, and there's areas. But there's a lot of reservable space to waterfall hunt, too. Yeah, there is. Um, right now, I would say you're you probably on the last week to 10 days out there at Andrick before it freezes up on the reservation, probably about the same for brush prairie ponds, but you've got Centennial Valley, uh, which is, these are all public areas that you're able to reserve. And you go into the waterfowl brochure and they've got a phone number that you can call uh, up to two weeks out. So you call in and see what's available. Centennial Valley, which is up kind of in the Kersey area, that's a really good river bottom property that's going to have great hunting from now till the end of the year. Along with Tamarack, it's out a little further out by Crook, but the state owns almost 20 miles of river, both sides of the river right there. So providing opportunity for waterfowl hunting is phenomenal out there, particularly duck hunting. And it's a great time. You know, you talked about the casting blast as an option. You can go out there, get a reserve spot at Tamarack, maybe hunt till 10 or, or noon. And then on your drive back, hit a bunch of those walk-in access areas for pheasant hunting. And so you can do a, a duck and pheasant hunt that uh, you know, would would match most of the places in the country. Now, we got we to gotta run, but are you guiding for some of these waterfall hunts? I am. I'm doing some uh, duck hunting and a little bit of goose hunting on the river. We've got a few openings coming up uh between now and the, the, the duck closure on the 26th, and then we have additional dates available when it opens up again on December 15th. So if they'd like to find out more information or get in touch with me, they can find me on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors or give me a call at 303-829-3998. All right, my friend. Well, we're going to have you on pretty regular because you know ice fishing is coming and we're uh, and we got a lot of waterfall to go, so we'll keep you on the line here. We'll keep you uh, keep us informed. 
Sounds good. We need to get out on the ice once it gets around, Terry. We do very quickly. Thank you. That Brad Peterson from Brad Peterson Outdoors. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, Ronnie Castiglione is going to join us. Now, Ronnie is a avid ice fisherman, but I got a feeling he's going to squeeze every moment of open water he can because he loves throwing jerk baits and going after some of these fish in open water. All that coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right to the phones. And joining us is Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Mr. Terry Wickstrom. How are you doing this morning? You know, I'm doing pretty well. Um, We've been talking open water fishing and hunting and ice fishing coming up. And I know you're an avid ice fisherman, and uh, but I think you're probably trying to squeeze every moment of this open water you can yet. Yeah, Terry. I mean, this is the time of year where if you can get out on open water, you got a chance of catching the biggest fish of the year, you know, right now. And I know you guys have been talking about it a little bit. I've actually been listening to the show this morning. So uh, I heard you guys mention talking about going out and throwing jerk baits this time of year. And, you know, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about, Terry. You know, this is a time of year where you can get out. The water temperatures are coming down and the jerk bait is going to be one of the best multi-species baits you can pick up, whether you're looking for you know, walleyes in the evening or early in the morning, or you're looking for smallmouth maybe in the middle of the day, or you're looking for trout pretty much all day long, you know, all those fish will bite a jerk bait. But, you know, what I really wanted to talk about is a little bit of the finer nuances of those jerk baits, Terry, and, and just to make sure that the listeners uh, understand a few things that they should get paying attention to as far as getting the, you know, the most that they're going to get out of those jerk baits, Terry. Well, we're going to let you do that, and I think one of the reasons that you know, jerk wa- jerk baits have always been a very good cold water bait. Now they're good all year long. There's a couple of you guys that call this show that you have one or two baits. You versatile anglers, but there's a couple go to baits that you just know you can produce with all the time. And one is a jerk bait, and and the key though there's a, there has to be fish off the deep structure, really, and shallower, right? Yeah, Terry. I mean, you definitely want to be throwing them in the right plot spot. So depth is really going to be one of the big things you want to pay attention to as far as which jerkbait you're picking up, Terry. So maybe you're picking up a shallow cutter 90 or something like that this time of year. you got to understand that that bait's going to have a particular depth that it's going to dive to. If you're looking at fish that are a little bit deeper, then you're going to want to pick up another jerkbait that's got a little deeper diving bill on it. You know, one of the big things that play into that, Terry, and the, one of the things I wanted to bring up right off the bat here was making sure that you're jerkbait is tuned properly is a very important thing, Terry. I can't tell you how many jerkbaits I've bought right out of the package that aren't tuned exactly right. And what I mean by tuned, so that, you know, inexperienced people might understand, Terry, is that when you when you cast a jerkbait out there and you point your rod straight at that thing, if you just straight reel that bait back to you, you should be able to watch that bait come, come straight back to the direction you're reeling it from. It shouldn't be swaying off to the left or swaying off to the right or pushing one direction or another. You want to be sure that that jerkbait is running perfectly straight. Now, if your jerkbait is kind of flailing off to one side or the other, then you need to go ahead and try to tune that jerkbait by taking a pair of pliers and, and putting it on the, the, the little ring that comes out of the, out of the plastic part of the front bill there below the split, split ring, Terry. And, and you want to you slightly adjust that thing by bending it the direction you want to correct the jerkbait to. Now, you definitely don't want to bend it a whole heck of a lot. And that's kind of the thing that people who try to do for this first time do wrong, Terry. I mean, you, you want to put a pair of pliers on there and, and push it to the direction you're trying to tune it and just 
barely move that thing to the point where you don't think you've moved it at all, Terry. And then go ahead and make a short cast and reel it straight back and take a look at it and make sure that it's running perfectly straight back to you. If it's not running perfectly straight, Terry, then, you know, we were talking about depth control. Well, that's one of the big things you lose when you have an untuned jerk bait. So if that bait was tuned perfectly and it was going to dive down to 14 feet, if it's not tuned perfectly, that bait may struggle to get down to six, seven, or eight feet. Uh, that's an important deal this time of year, Terry. It's always an important deal. When you are throwing a jerk bait, you want to make sure it's tuned. Well, you know, one of the big keys, I go back to being a disciple of Buck Perry a million years ago, which just is a testament to how old I am. But Buck Perry's real, his concepts of fishing and, and the in fishermen when I was writing for them was, you know, once you found the fish, then the key to presentation, depth was always number one. And then things like the body of the lure and the action of the lure and the color all came in after that. But if you weren't at the right depth, you, you're just casting to no fish. Yeah, Terry. And when you are out, you know, throwing jerk bits this time of year, it's a good call to have, you know, multiples with you that will dive to different depths. Because let's say you're throwing a deep-diving jerkbait, but all the fish are shallower in the water column that particular morning or that particular day. Um, it's going to be real tough for you to get the bites if your bait's down at 14, but the fish are suspended up at 6. So you want to have a selection. You want to, if you're not getting bites on a particular one that's diving to a particular depth, you want to try other ones. You want to switch through. You want to make sure that you try a few. I can't tell you how many days, Terry, I was throwing the wrong jerkbait, and then I finally picked up the right one, and it was game on. Now, you know, talking about tuning the jerkbait, Bait. You know, a jerk bait for the most part, a lot of them are going to be designed to suspend through the water column. Certainly, some of them do sink slowly, some of them do rise slowly, but a good number of them are going to be designed to suspend, Terry. So, when you're tuning the jerk bait, that's another thing you want to take a look at. You want to reel that thing down right in front of you a couple feet where you can still see the jerk bait in the water, and you want to stop it right there, and you want to take a look at it and make sure that that bait is suspending in the water. If it's floating up in the water column, Terry, then, you know, there are some ways to tune a jerkbait to get it to suspend. The real easy one, the one I suggest for most people to go ahead and try is, is to just change out one of the hooks, Terry. If you go from one hook that's on it, say a size six, and you go ahead and bump that up to, a, you know, like a size four or just the next size up or even just a little bit more of a stout, slightly heavier treble hook, if you switch out those hooks a lot of times that's all it takes to get that bait to suspend terry now when you're doing that you also want to take a look and make sure as that bait is suspended that it's sitting properly in the water column what i mean by that terry is you don't want it to be sitting with the tail of the jerk bait down and the bill of the jerk bait pointed up at an angle you want it pointed the other way for the most part terry you want the head of the jerk bait pointed down you want the tail to either just be straight out or be slightly up that way when you come back and rip that jerkbait again, if it's pointed up and you go to rip it, then a lot of times it kind of swims up and it'll kind of blow out a lot of times and it, it just won't work properly. If the nose as it's suspended is pointed down, when you go to rip and move that jerkbait again, again, then that bait's going to dig in, Terry. It's going to dive down. It's going to run to the depth like we're talking about, Terry. Well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, when we're talking about these fine nuances like this, a lot of people don't realize that that jerkbait that suspended when the water was 70 degrees may not suspend when the water is 40. That water is a lot denser. It's going to give a lot more flotation. And then I'll bet, Ronnie, when sometimes you need minor adjustments getting that nose down, you just change the line that's attached to it. 
Absolutely, Terry, and that's exactly where I was going next with it. The line that you are running your jerk baits on, the way you are rigging your jerk bait is absolutely going to affect the way the jerk bait runs through the water column. Now, for the most part, Terry, when I'm suggesting, for, you know, how do people go ahead and rig their jerk baits for newbies, for clients, and things like that? For the most part, I'm going to suggest that they rig it on a uh, on some sort of braid, some sort of super line, and then a fluorocarbon leader somewhere in that maybe eight, twelve, fifteen pound fluorocarbon leader, just maybe about eighteen inches of that fluorocarbon leader tied onto the braid. That's kind of a no-brainer, easy way to work a jerkbait, Terry. You're going to get uh, really good diving depth out of that. You're going to get that bait to suspend. You're going to be real, real you know, sensitive as far as feeling real-life strikes. And when you go ahead and pop and move that jerkbait, you're going to really get a lot of action out of that jerkbait. Now, if you're somebody that likes to throw jerkbaits, but you're not going to do it on a spinning rod, and that's pretty much on a spinning rod that I, I would rig with the braid and the fluorocarbon leader, Terry. If you're going to switch over and you're going to throw that on a uh, casting rod, for example, then uh, for the most part, I'm going to go ahead and do that on fluorocarbon on a casting rod, Terry, somewhere in that 10, maybe 12-pound range, straight 100% fluorocarbon on a casting rod. That's going to be my setup if I'm throwing jerk baits on that. You're going to get real good diving depth out of that as well. It's going to have less stretch than if you were trying to do it with mono. So when you go ahead and pop and move the rod, you're going to get all that action out of that jerk bait on the fluorocarbon or the braid. Now, if you're somebody who just doesn't have, you know, braid on any of the rods or you're not using fluorocarbon, you don't have casting gear, let's say you've just got old-school mono on a spinning rod, Terry, you can absolutely use the mono, you just want to make sure you're using the right pound test. So something like 10, maybe 12 pound test, maybe as much as 15 for a real big deep diving jerk bait. You're going to want to make sure you're using something like Trilene XT that doesn't have a whole lot of stretch to it so that when you pop that jerk bait, you're not just moving the line and not the lure. So uh, Trilene XT is going to perform really good like that. And, uh, you know, you want to make sure you're also using a, a real stiff rod if you're going into mono. So you don't want a real bendy rod. You want a rod that's real fast action so that as you rip it, you're not getting a lot of stretch in the rod or bend in the rod and stretch in the line where you're just not getting a real crisp action that you're looking for from the jerk Terry. So, you know, just those little things, just paying attention to those little things will absolutely make you a better jerkbait angler in the long run, Terry. All right, about 30 seconds left. It's going to get colder than heck tomorrow with snow, but then by middle of the week, we're going to get back up around 50. If somebody wants to get one last open water trip, where should they go? You know, Horse Tooth is definitely a long ways away from freezing, Terry, so you could definitely run up to Horse Tooth. We've been catching smallmouth pretty consistently up there on Horse Tooth. Walleyes have been a little bit tough. Um, they did finally put some trout in this year, Terry. They just they just dumped the truck in, so there are some real small trout swimming around Horse Tooth right now. Give those trout three or four years, they're going to grow to be huge, Terry, but Horse Tooth's a good call. Carter is also a very good call right now, Terry. It's got a whole bunch of trout in it as well as a bunch of walleyes, and guys are doing really well at Carter Lake, so Carter might be my choice actually to go walk the bank and throw a jerk bait at night terry all right now ronnie we're going to be talking a lot of ice fishing over the next few weeks the lakes temperatures are dropping quick especially in the mountains well what's going on and i happen to know that one of these ice fishing weekends i'll be gone on assignment in hawaii and you're going to have to take over the show that week Awesome, Terry. I think I'm there in early December, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and we'll definitely talk ice fishing while I'm in there. You know, I'm a big fan of ice fishing, but I, I don't like to do it until I have to, Terry. So open water for now. Ice when it arrives, Terry. All right, Ronnie. Well, you will be. I think it's the first weekend of December. I have to go to Hawaii. It's just one of the sacrifices I make, Ronnie, but I'm willing to do it for the listeners. Oh, good. Yeah, for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> All right, Ronnie. Bye, we'll, all right, we'll talk soon. We need to get together soon. 
All right, sounds good, buddy. You have you, a good one. You bet. Ronnie Castellone with uh, Fishful Thinker. You can book guide trips by them. Just go to fishfulthinker.com or Fishful Thinker on Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, don't forget to follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We're going to be giving away a huge gift certificate for Honey Smoked Salmon based on a trivia that will be posted on our Facebook page. And what a great holiday gift that is because it's orders, appetizers, it's easy, and everybody loves it. So, But you won't be able to win it if you don't know the answer. We're going to put on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We also post links to my column and to our YouTube channel, which has lots of ice fishing on it. So follow us there. I want to say thanks to Karen for making me look like I know what I'm doing and to Kyle for making me get in and out of the breaks and we actually get some commercials so we get to pay for this show. Thank you guys so and th- much. Yeah, and thank all you guys for out there for listening to us and staying with us. Join us every Saturday right here from 9 to 11 for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We'll let the Eagle take us to the top of the hour in sports on 104.3 the fan.